0: Do you believe it? Because there's a lot of stuff that comes out of our mouth every day. And not everything we say do we believe. And it is absolutely critical that when we speak God's word, we speak it in faith. We believe it. it. Before we ever pray, we need to know what we're believing for. And we need to know that it's possible because it's what God said he'd do. God watches over his word to perform it. God will always do what he said, and we have to come to that place where we make that, we stick a spike in the sand and we say, I believe it, before we ever see it, because that's faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and oftentimes it's it's real easy to slide into that moment of, I know this is what God's word says, and and, and uh So I'm going to say God's word. And and we need to speak God's word. But if you don't speak of believing it, you're not going to have the benefit that you could have. And so the fight, the fight. We talked about a fight. The battle belongs to the Lord, but there's a battle that's yours. It's mine. That's the battle to believe. The good fight of faith. Are we going to enter into it? Are we going to believe what God says before We ever see it. Before we we have any sense, any awareness of what he said is going to happen. Because we know who he is. Who is God? God is faithful. God is love. God never fails. And if God said it, it will be. We just need to stand and hold on to God and his word. And so this morning, I just just want to encourage you that God's going to share something with you today. You're going to be aware of God pinpointing something in your life. Be aware of that, take note of it, and grab a hold of it. Until we know what God is speaking to us through His Word, by His Spirit, once we get that, it's important that we hold on to it and apply it to our lives. Because if all we do is just, that was a great service. It was great praise and worship, and Taylor did a great job. And, you know, Pastor went a little long today. And But if you get what God has for you, and, and you and I, because when I share in these services, there are things God speaks to me. He, he, he shows me, this is what you need to apply to your life. And I need to make note of that. There are times I'm standing here and God's, helping me understand things I need to adjust, realign in my life, things I need to let go of. And and that's the most important thing. In that moment, when we become aware of what God is revealing to us, we grab a hold of it, we apply it to our life, then we experience that transformation that God takes us from glory to glory. And I would ask this very obvious question, but I won't. Who wants to go from one level of glory to the next level of glory? All of us do. But it's not mystical. It's not magical. There is a determination. There is a choice you and I have to, to make. Whether we're going to apply what we know God's word says. What he's saying to us. And then continue to stand having done all things to stand. And as we do that, God works in us and then is able to do a work through us to impact all those around us. Amen? Well, this morning we're, we're going to continue on. We, we've been learning about what Jesus taught in, in uh, John chapter 16 or 15 and how he was teaching just before he was entering into the most difficult time of his life. But he wasn't the only one that was going to enter into it. What was about to happen was that the disciples who had given up a lot to follow Jesus for a number of years are going to see him arrested, tortured and beaten, him convicted wrongly of things he never did, and then die on the cross. Their world was going to come apart. Everything they had had security in Jesus who was with them is now gone. And Jesus knew how this was going to rock their world. Probably not much different than what happened at 9-11 to us as Americans. We had such security, such stability. We, we, we had problems in America, but we, we knew we could take care of anything that, that came up. But when that happened, that rocked America. That removed the security that we had falsely had in our country, in our government, in our army. We need to know that these are all things that can be used by God to help us, but there's only one that'll keep you safe. And and it's God alone. And in that moment, because of the security that we lost, because we had our faith in all these variety of different things, the stability in people's lives was undone. The hope, the peace, the joy, the serenity was gone. And people began to search for what what could they put their trust in? What could they put their hope in? What could they put their confidence in? And what happens to somebody when they can't find anything or anyone that they can trust in or have confidence in or be secure, knowing that they can take care of you no matter what? What, what, what type of frame of mind does a person get into when there is no security, no stability, no serenity? Yeah, fear, depression, anxious, we're reactive, We're aggressive. We react to anything going on. If somebody just had something happen that kind of undermined their their security, and somebody jumps out from behind a doorway, there's a reaction, right? And it it triggers the fight or flight. And if you're just playing a joke on somebody, you want the flight to kick in. Okay? Okay? But we have been in that frame of mind, in that way of living in America, we have been reactive, and we have been aggressive, and things are, are continuing to spiral downward in America because of these things. We can't find, as Americans, I'm, talk, I'm not talking about Christians, I'm talking about as Americans, as people who want to put their trust in their government in their armies, in their financial institutions, in other people, and we're finding that that's not always secure. And we become more withdrawn, more guarded, more reactive than ever before. But we as Christians, man, we shouldn't have been putting all our trust in that. The Bible tells us some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. That's the only one that's ever going to be stable. We're ever going to be secure in. And so we, we, we have been learning what Jesus was teaching his disciples because it was going to be a means by which they would be able to endure what they were facing that he knew seeing him crucified, seeing all the aggressiveness against him. And they had already seen it, but now at a new level. And he wanted them secure. He wanted them stable. He wanted them to know that it was going to be all right. And so he began to teach. And, and what we've been learning about three stages of fruit bearing But that fruit, What talked about fruit of the Spirit, Taylor, this morning. That fruit, love, joy, what's the next one? Peace. Joy and peace, just those two. He wanted them to have joy and peace, no matter what they saw, what they encountered, what was going on. God wants you to have joy and peace, no matter what's going on. And you can, and he was preparing them for that. And he showed them in verse one and or verse two and verse five. He showed the three stages of fruit bearing, and and we know what they are. The first one was it was about God lifting, him disciplining, realigning us, and that was removing sin, active sin in our life. As long as there's sin in our life, the enemy has an active role in our life. Because he's there to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way he does is he entices us and we make the final decision whether we're going to sin or not. Any sin in our life as a Christian is by choice. And so God helps us. He shows us and then he empowers us to be able to say no to it. And then the second stage is about pruning. Things that are good or, or things that are not necessarily bad but it's really dealing with self and our reliance on self us guiding ourselves and relying on us instead of being guided by God and relying on God. And then the third stage is about abiding. And in verse 5, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do no- mo- nothing. So abiding is the one we began to really look at and, and delve into and, and dissect to see what, what, what happens in this abiding. This abiding is where we choose to go towards God. And we go towards a lot of different things every day. But the thing that we'll do more in our lives than anything else is when we choose to build a friendship with God. When we grab onto God, reach out for God, instead of reaching out for all the other things that we might depend on or trust in or rely on or look for security or satisfaction through, but we reach out for God. And the Bible says when we reach out for Him, when we abide in Him, He'll abide in us. We open up a pathway for him to begin to fill our lives more fully than ever before. And really, if we're going to have the abundant life, the only way that comes is through God, because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Real life, satisfaction, fulfillment, peace, joy, hope, all of these things come from God. And when we open up more and more of our lives to God, By abiding, choosing to abide in Him, and He abides in us by His Spirit. But how many of you know that when we get saved, the Spirit of God comes to reside in us? But Jesus wasn't encouraging His disciples just just receive the Spirit. He commanded them, he, He breathed on them. After the resurrection, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. But then later on, he commanded them about the Holy Spirit. What did he command them? Anybody remember? Yeah, don't leave Jerusalem until you've received power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it wasn't just about the residence. It was the abundance of the Spirit. And as Christians, we have the Spirit of God residing in us But many times we're just getting beaten all the time by the enemy because what we actually need is the abundance, just like the disciples. Jesus commanded them, don't leave Jerusalem until, until what? Until you receive power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. When when you are baptized, when you're saturated, when you're overflowing with the Spirit of God. And that's the first abiding, that we would abide in him and he would abide in us by the Spirit, more and more the Spirit of God. And later on in the, in the epistles, Paul tells us that we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's be being filled. It's a present tense continuous. It's an action that has a start, but it's always continuing, continuing to be filled with the Spirit of God. And then we're to abide In his word, and his word's to abide in us. Because his word provides the only offensive weapon that we as Christians have, it's the sword of the Spirit. And then we're to abide in his love and let his love abide in us. And what that will produce is not just fruit. It will produce fruit. But today we are going to Psalm 91 to look at the benefits, what occurs when people abide, when people dwell with God, when they make their home in God and let God make his home in us. Because we're living in a fallen world. This is not heaven. You wouldn't believe the ridiculous statement Pastor made today. Yeah, it is ridiculous because sometimes we get confused. We want this to be heaven and it's not. It never will be. This is a fallen, broken world that the enemy has every right to operate in. And you and I are standing in a place where the enemy is operating, and the only way we're going to be able to overcome him is by submitting to God, is by abiding in God. God, Jesus already defeated the enemy, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He conquered hell and death in the grave. He made a show of the enemy openly, all his powers and principalities and dominions. And the only thing they're going to recognize is Jesus or Christ in you. Not on our own authority, it's his authority. It's in his victory. That's the only victory we have is his. And so when we choose to abide in God, when we choose to connect and continue to commune with God and allow God to fill us and flood us instead of the stuff that we've allowed to fill us and flood us. Only then can we stand submitted to God. And the Bible says in James, when you submit yourself to God, then the enemy will flee. Until we submit to God, until we allow God to have his way in us, and through us, and we track with God, and and we we abide in God, and we yield to God and submit to God. Until that happens, man, it's you and me standing against the enemy who's going to whip us every time. But when we stand in God, who did we say the battle belonged to today? Right. But you and I have to choose to submit to him. And let him have his way in the battle. Don't tell him how it ought to go. Just know it's gonna be, you're going to be victorious, but he's going to do it the way he wants in the time he wants through the means that he wants. And as we do, as we become more reliant, more dependent, more expectant of God than ever before, we're going to enter into what the Bible calls the rest of faith. How many of you need a rest? Man, I'm telling you, this this life can get very wearing. But we can let God handle the battle. And we can enter into the rest of faith. And what's the focus of faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Our focus is on God. On his word, on his character, on who he is, on what he's done. That's why we've got the Old Testament. The Old Testament is there to show us how faithful God is. God doesn't change. God took care of Israel over and over and over again. And the only time you see Israel being overcome and overwhelmed is when they turned away to trust in something other than God. Just like what happens with us. We are coming to the end of the age. Rapidly. And, and we need to be prepared. We need to be the church without spot or wrinkle. There's there's a cleaning and a pressing that God's doing in the body of Christ. We need to be prepared for his return. And and there's a, a parable Jesus taught about ten virgins that were waiting for the return. The Coming of the Bridegroom. It's a depiction of the church waiting for Jesus. And of the ten, there were five that were wise and there were five that were foolish. And the only difference between the wise and the foolish was their degree of preparation. The foolish ones didn't have enough oil. The wise ones had more than enough oil. And that is a depiction of the Spirit of God and the people of God. Are we continuing to be filled with God, with His Spirit, with His Word, with His love? And if we are, while we're waiting, we don't have to be overwhelmed. We can be overcoming in all these things. And this morning we're going to look at Psalm 91. We're going to get just into the first few verses of it. And we're going to dissect it. We're really going to go into a lot of detail. So if you would bow your heads, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you that you are in our midst. I ask you to, Father, use me. I have a plan, but Father, I want your will to be done here. Father, I pray that every one of us this morning would hear what you are saying to us us collectively as a church, but us individually as members of the body of Christ. That, Father, we can collectively rise up as a glorious, victorious church, not just RLC, but RLC as part of the universal body of Christ. But not just as a group that has been joined together, but, Father, as individuals that are determined to do our part. To know you, to grow in you, and to show you to all the people around us. And we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So in Psalm 91, verse 1 and 2, we looked at very briefly at the end of last week's service, but, but this is one of the Psalms that they, scholars aren't sure who actually wrote it, whether it was Moses or David, but I'm going to tell you something. There was something very similar between both of them. Both of them experienced a lot of difficulties in their life. Probably more than any of us sitting here. Now, we've all had difficult times because we live in a fallen world. But when you think about Moses and what he went through and David, what he went through, man, they had some great things that happened, but they had some real difficult times, but they had great victories too. And uh, so whoever it was, Uh, knew what they were talking about. And and it starts out, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We talked last week that the word dwells means to be continuously present, to abide in the secret place. And what what do we talk about? What's a secret place? When something's secret, what does it indicate? Yeah, usually there's some that know, but many don't. There are more that don't know than know about it or that go towards it. If it's secret, then, you know, a lot of people don't go that direction. If there's this secret place to overlook this beautiful view, a lot of people aren't up there. And so this secret place is a place that a lot of people don't go to. And the reason why people don't go to the secret place of the Most High is because they don't want to pay the price. It's not secret because God's keeping people away. It's just people don't want to make the sacrifice for it. The Bible says we will find God when we seek him with all our heart. When we seek him diligently. Not just when we're in need. Not just when we've got some spare time. We seek him. Seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's a priority here that we as Christians need to really look at our lives. I've been looking at my life and, and realizing I've got to make some real adjustments to make sure that Jesus has the preeminence, the first place, the first place in rank, the first place in value, the first place in influence. Because I've lived my life where I've been Taking that first place, or or my wife has been taking that first place, or or other experts have been taking that first place. And I have to be adjusting my life where there is no one in the first place except the first person, and that's Jesus. He who dwells in the secret place, he who chooses to make that place something that they want to get to shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, when you look at this, there are two names of God right here. We're going to see four names of God, but two names of God. The most high is Elion. It means the supreme above all crea- creation. How many of us want to be with a God who is supreme over all creation? If he is supreme over all creation, what of creation do we have to worry about? What of creation do we have to worry about? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for answers today because I don't want you to just mentally agree. Because if we mentally agree with the word, it's not going to work the way it needs to. We need to believe it. And part of believing it is speaking it. And so we want to be in that secret place of the most high the supreme above all creation that nothing nothing is beyond his ability to influence then it says dwells under the shadow of the almighty we talked about a shadow and that it doesn't fall very far from whatever it is that that is causing the shadow to be cast and so we need to be close to be under the shadow of the almighty This is another another name of God, El Shaddai. El Shaddai, the most powerful. There's nothing, nothing more powerful than God. And then it goes on to say, I will say of the Lord. That word Lord is Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal one. I will say of the Lord. Now look at this. He is what? And, and Do you notice one thing that was the same in all of that? It was personalized. My refuge, my fortress, my God. It's indicating that there has to be this personal connection with God, that He's yours, you know He's yours, He's your friend, He's your God. He's one that's closer than anybody else. He's the one that we turn to before we turn to anyone else. My refuge, my fortress, my God. That word God there is Elohim. Above all other gods with little g, all rulers, all angels, all works. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge. What what? Does anybody remember what we talked about last week and this is very dangerous for me to do because I get disappointed sometimes when nobody knows nobody remembers but when we talked about res- refuge what what did we determine a refuge is a sanctuary. a sanctuary a safe place you guys did great thank you i feel a lot better a refuge if there's an animal refuge it means animals are safe there if He's our refuge. It means we're safe there. Now, in a refuge, and it doesn't happen all the time because they're a refuge, they're a refuge for elephants and, and all sorts of animals in Africa, the poachers come in, right? And what do they do? They poach. That's why they're called poachers. They, they come in and they kill the animals. They take what they, they, they are after. They disrupt the sanctuary, they disrupt the protection. Now that's because they can't enforce it, but guess who can? God, when he's your refuge, he can enforce that. But what happens if an animal goes outside the refuge? They are fair game. The moment they step beyond the refuge... Anyone can legally take them out. If you and I step beyond the refuge, the safe place of God, that's right, the enemy will come after you. But he can't touch you in God. You may say, Well, I want to be there because I don't want anything bad to happen to me. Remember where you live. You live, now nah, I'm not talking about New York State. <laughs> I'm talking about in the world, in the world that the enemy has every right to operate in. And so we're gonna see something about refuge and fortress and all these things about what we have mistakenly believed that God should do and can do. There are things that because we're in the world, we're going to have to face. He's our refuge and our fortress. What, what, what did we learn about fortress? What is a fortress? A castle, a stronghold. And, and that is something that's so strong that there is a confidence and a security that nothing can break through it. That's what God is. He gives you and me a confidence no matter what's going on. No matter what's going on, it's going to be okay. In Him I will what? Trust. I'll trust. I'll trust. I'll trust. We trust all sorts of things all throughout our days. You came in and you trusted the chair. I didn't see all of you, but I saw enough of you that when you came in, you kind of just plopped down. You didn't check it out to see if the legs were there, if it was sturdy. You had an absolute trust that you could just sit on it and it would hold you. It would support you. It would give you a place of rest. We need to have that same ability and confidence to trust God, that he'll he'll take care of us. In him will I trust. That word trust means to be secure, feel safe, sure, carefree. To have a confidence and assurance in him and to have a hope. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. What is his name? Yeah, there are a variety of names. Jehovah Rapha. See, names are very important to God and they should be very important to us. In the Bible, names meant something. It gave an indication of a character, of who that person was. And when we find out the names of God, and this is why we have to study, because we can't go through everything that needs to be gone through on one day a week for, you know, an hour. Jehovah Rapha. Does anybody know what Jehovah Rapha means? The Lord God, our healer. The God that heals us. When you know his name is healer, then you can believe and trust and have confidence that he'll heal. And we see that not only in the name of our Heavenly Father, but in the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. He took stripes on his back, That by his stripes, we were healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. And so we have this ability to have him as our refuge and our fortress and to choose to trust in him. If we don't trust in him, it doesn't matter how big a refuge he is or how strong a fortress he is. If we don't go to him, we aren't going to be able to experience what he has. That's why abiding is so important. In abiding, it's it says like the branch abides in the vine. Abiding is the branch holding on to the vine and the vine holding on to the branch. But in our case, if we choose to let go of our grasp on God and look to grasp at other things to satisfy our need for peace or our healing and please don't misunderstand god's not opposed to doctors and nurses and medications and technology who do you think gave them their abilities and the ability to make these things but god is opposed to us elevating them to being the one who heals us god heals us and he can use whatever means he wants he can do it miraculously Or he can do it through vessels that he works through. But we need to have our faith in him above all else. And so when we have our faith in him, when we have our confidence in him, when he is our refuge, when he is our fortress, our stronghold, we have this unshakable peace. We have this abounding joy. We aren't reactionary like we would be if we were unsure about everything around us. And so all of a sudden, people begin to see our lives not experiencing different from them, but us revealing a different response than what they have, which is it's frustrating to them it's infuriating to them, but it causes them to question, and it has an effect of drawing them towards what you have, and it's really who you have. Then it goes on to say in verse 3, that's right, he rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. How many of you know there are hidden traps in Our daily lives. There are hazards. I was driving up Black River Boulevard. I don't know if it was last week or the week before. And I got just a little ways up right where the post office is. You know what I saw? Something I've never seen before in my life. I saw a Jeep on its side and another car stuck right into it. Do you know that that I don't know who it was. I don't know how it happened but I have an idea by the way the cars were positioned. And I can guarantee you right now, neither one, the one that was driving or riding in the jeep and the one in the car, neither one of them expected anything like that to happen that day. And stuff like that happens all the time. And I'm not telling you that to be scared. I'm telling you that to prepare, recognize. You can be doing all the right things and stuff happens. Listen, you live in a fallen world. You are not gonna be exempt from stuff happening. But what you can be is prepared when stuff happens that you know it's gonna be okay. Romans 8, 28 God works what? All things for good. That means if all things are working for good and God's doing it, it didn't start out good. For those who love him, and we read in John chapter 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. You're gonna track with me. You're gonna yield to me. You're you're going to be guided by me and governed by me. Because when we put our lives in God's hands, God can do something about our lives. You know, too often we as Christians, we just want God for life. But what we need is God to have our lives. There's a difference between having God in our life and God having our life. And too many Christians, that's the way it is. We're allowing God this section and this sliver and this area and this area. And he's doing what he can do in the areas we give him. But he's not working. He won't violate our choice to depend on and be governed by and guarded by something else. And that's why it is imperative that we abide. We continue to give more attention, more of ourselves, more of our focus, more of our allegiance to God than ever before so he can fill that area. So that when stuff does happen, because it's going to happen, you can know it's going to work out okay. You're going to know God's there. You know, things happen in people's lives not because necessarily they've done wrong, it's because the enemy is out there to steal, kill, and destroy. And we have to be prepared when stuff happens, when we get the report of this or that, or when somebody who is choosing to do whatever they're doing, regardless of their consideration for anybody else, and all of a sudden impacts your life, You can know, all right, God didn't cause this. The enemy's out doing what he's doing. But God's going to work it for good. God's going to turn it around. He's going to rescue. It didn't say you weren't going to have traps or deadly hazards, but he'll rescue you. When you're rescued from something, what happens If somebody's rescued from drowning, what does that mean? Save them, which indicates that they were drowning, right? Something was happening that they couldn't take care of themselves in. That never happens in our life, does it? Something's happening that they didn't expect. They went for a swim, and they thought it was going to be great and refreshing. All of a sudden, they found themselves out beyond their ability, beyond their strength, beyond all their resources, and things were going south quick. And somebody comes to them. I want you to know, stuff happens all the time in our lives. And I'm not saying this to cause you to be afraid, but be prepared. How do we prepare? We make sure we're abiding. We make sure that we choose. God is our refuge and our fortress. We choose to trust in God. When the stuff happens, you're already prepared. You know where you're turning. You know where your trust is. You know that he will never fail you. Now, he won't always work things out how you want it worked out and when you want it worked out. But let me tell you this, I guarantee this, because God can't do anything else but this. He'll always do the best. And if you doubt that, then you're not going to trust him. And you have to settle that issue. Do you believe that every good and perfect gift comes from above? Do you believe that God always works Things out for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose? Do you believe that with God all things are possible? You have to settle that first. And when you settle that, then you can engage in life, and whatever comes, your world is not overthrown. You may be shaken. You may have the questions we all have. Why me? Why did this happen? If God's so good, why did this happen? Because God didn't, didn't do it. Why me? Well, there's another question. Why not? Man, I'm telling you, if you're being used by God, you're a big target to the enemy, and he's going to target you before he's going to target somebody that just sits the seats. And that is not that is not an invitation to sit, sit in the seats. Because there's no greater celebration or greater testimony than when there's a great test and God comes through. And God does come through. Always. He will never, ever, ever fail. It goes on to say in 91 verse 4, He'll cover you with his wing with his feathers under his wings you'll you'll take refuge there's that refuge again his truth shall be your shield and buckler now we're getting crazy we're talking about God's wings and feathers does God have wings and feathers it's 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 a word picture because they knew and we should know too that that it says he'll Cover you with his feathers, under his wings you'll take refuge. Jesus even even addressed this. This was addressed in the Old Testament when it says in, in Malachi 4:2, the Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. His wings were a representation of what a bird would do with its young. It would cover them to protect them, to camouflage them to shield them from the elements? And and God does. Jesus said in Luke 13, 34, over Jerusalem, I would gather you as a hen would to her chicks under her wings, but you would not. See, the only way somebody is going to be safe is to choose. Go to them you're going to be secure you're going to be stable you're going to know that no matter what comes to you that god can take care of it he can cause you to overcome overcome in it and then in verse it says his truth i'm sorry go back john his truth shall be your shield and buckler his truth what is god's truth his word His word, his word. That's why the enemy works so subtly and so hard to keep us so busy from getting into his word and getting his word into us. It's not just about reading the Bible. If we don't believe what we read, then it does us no good. And it's about incorporating it in our lives, in our hearts, that we would Memorize it and we would meditate on it. And so his truth is his word. Psalm 119, 160 says the entirety of your word is truth. And then in John 17 it says, Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth, your word is truth. So his truth will be a shield and a buckler. What's a shield? It's a protection. Okay, it's it's... It's something that you have that you, in the armies of that day, they had shields. They had shields that they could hook together to make a bigger protection. But they had a protection that was portable. Now this says, his truth will be our shield. Now my question for you this morning is, how big a shield do you want? Because this all depends on you. There are some people, they have shields that are so big, it it takes care of anything coming from almost any side. They have so much of the Word of God built into them, and this doesn't happen magically, it's work. The Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. And so if, if we want a shield that's going to be big enough to protect us from any direction or any attack, then we have to have enough word in us that when that attack comes, that shield immediately goes up. Holy Spirit reminds us of the word of God that we have planted in our own hearts, and all of a sudden, we by faith choose to believe that and say, okay, this is what's coming at me, but this is what God has promised to me. When we sit with people that are struggling, the one thing that we do over and over and over again is we speak the word. This is what the word of God says. This is, when we pray with people, one of the first things we ask is, what are you believing from God's word? What are you standing on? Well, you're not standing on anything. If you don't know what the word of God says you're really not operating in faith. I'm not operating in faith. The Bible talks about the storms that would come, and there were two houses built, one on the rock and one on the sand. The storms came to both houses. Only one stood. The other one fell, and it says great was the fall. The difference was the one that was built on the rock was built upon someone's life who not only knew the Word of God, but did the Word of God. It's not about amassing information. It's about transformation of our lives. It's about our lives migrating to be in line with God's word. Our thoughts, our our expectations, being absolutely confident in what God said because God, the Bible says, is not a man that he would lie. God watches over his word to perform it. His word will not return void. It'll accomplish that which He sent it forth to accomplish and prosper in the way it goes. Heaven and earth will pass away before God's word will pass away. Everything you see and the things you don't even see that were created were created by His word. And that's why His word is so important, so valuable so necessary for us to be able to live this life and not be overcome by life. And it's not something that only a few people can do. Every one of us, if we prioritize our time, if we value God and his word and what he says to us more than the things that are currently taking our time, and I'm not saying they're bad, but I will say this, they probably are not doing as much good for us as that would if we'd spent time truly, truly memorizing and meditating and building the Word of God into us because when, when the storms come, and how many of you know we don't always have great warnings in life when the storms are coming? That's why we have to do it before we need it. Seek him early when he'll be found. That's what the scripture says. Early. When's early? You know, it didn't say three o'clock in the morning. Early is relative. It's before. Before what? Before it's needed. Before he's needed. That's why we need to always be about abiding in him, building the word of God in us, worshiping and praising him, not just when the bottom falls out. He'll be our shield. I want a big shield. If I want a big shield, then I can have as big a shield as I want. It's just whether I'm gonna pay the price and build the word of God in. And a buckler, Buckler isn't a word that I, I knew or was very familiar with. But the word buckler, another, another um, definition for it is a bulwark or a rampart. I wasn't too sure about those either. So I had to look a little farther. It means an all-encompassing protection. So you've got a shield, but there is another part that his word will, his truth will play. It'll be absolutely surrounding you. And I don't know about you, but I can tell you, after the 67 years I've lived, I realize I am not always tracking and aware where the next attack is coming from. And I need that. I need that. Then it goes on to say in verse 5 and 6, you will have nothing to fear. Think about that. What what, what what would your life be like starting today if anything that you were anxious about or fearful of or, or, you know, stressed about all of a sudden was gone? Would that change anybody's life here besides mine? Of course it would. And And this is where, again, the Word of God is telling us if we'll abide, if we'll dwell, If we'll choose to have the truth built into us, his word, abide in his word and let his word abide in us, abide in his spirit, let his spirit abide in us, abide in his love, let his love abide in us, these are what are ours. You will have nothing to fear at night and no need to be afraid of the enemy's arrows during the day. Now you may say, well, I... I don't have to be afraid of arrows anyways. They aren't using those things anymore. Your enemy is. Every day he is launching these fiery darts at you. It's what the Bible tells us. What are they? They're those accusations. They're those things that come to you. The thoughts that kind of just pass through your mind and it's like, you're, you're not worth anything. God will never take care of you. These fiery darts. And if you don't know what the Bible says that you have to do with it, then in those days when they had shields and a fiery dart hit a shield, the elite had metal shields. But many of them had leather or wood shields. What would a fiery dart do or a fiery arrow do when it hits a a wood or a, a leather shield? And all of a sudden, their protection becomes a liability. But they don't want to get rid of it because they're even more exposed, so they're going to start to get burned by it if they hold on to it. The Bible tells us that we can quench every fiery dart That the enemy throws by something. And I know some of you know it, and it's the shield of faith. Again, the word. This is what extinguishes the lies of the enemy, the accusations of the enemy, the attack of the enemy when he's coming after you. You're never gonna make it, you're going down. This is your last time, you're done. God doesn't care. Nobody else cares. Please remember that the Bible says that not only is Lucifer and his whole army of demons are are the accusers. They're accusers. They accuse you. But they're liars. If you're being reminded that you'll never make it does that line up with what god's promise is but if you don't know what the promise is and you've been hearing this all your life and you're used to this this is what you're going to continue to gravitate towards and allow to be present in your life and even undoing your own progress and you have to take captive that thought recognize it's not truth and we need truth because what does truth do You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free and keep you free. We have to take captive that thought. That's not true. I reject it. But how many of you know that if all you do is say, that's not true, I reject it, it doesn't just go. It continues to try to cycle through. And this morning, if I tell you, don't think about the fire truck that big red truck with those black tires and and shiny chrome and those black hoses, well, what are you thinking about? That's it. Because you can't think about two things at the same time. None of us can. And that's why we have to choose not just to say, no, that's not true. If I say, don't think about fire truck, think about the ostrich with those big long legs and that long neck, you forgot about the fire truck. All of a sudden, the picture in your mind is of this ostrich. That's why we have to replace what the lies are, what the attack is, with the word of God. We have to be tenacious. Then it goes on to say in verse six you will have no fear. I used to have a no fear sticker on the back of my motorcycle helmet. It said, no fear. And then it said, fear God. Because we don't have to fear. You will have no fear of diseases that come in the dark or terrible suffering that comes at noon. No fear. God doesn't want you to fear because fear is the opposite of love and the opposite of faith. Where fear is operating, love and faith are are absent. We're not not confident of God's love in us, love for us. We're not confident of what God has promised and said for us. And so we've chosen who we're going to believe. And there is where we have to make some adjustments. Then in verse 7 it says this. A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand. Isn't it good news this morning? Doesn't sound like it. But it says, but it shall not come near you. Now, sometimes we read this and we say, well, you know, if I'm abiding in God and God's abiding in me, if I'm abiding in Him and His Spirit is abiding in me and filling me and flooding me. And I'm abiding in his word, and his word is abiding in me. And I'm abiding in his love, and his love is abiding in me. Is this telling me I'm not going to have any problems? No, no. When it says, but it shall not come near you. What did it say over and over and over? You shall not fear. One of the things that happens is we live in a world that things happen. The enemy orchestrates things in our lives. But we don't ever have to fear. We we do not have a promise from God that these things won't come at us. But they will never overcome us. They will start to try and have an inroad. It's like a burglar testing the door of your house. You know, he's there. He's looking around. The Bible says the enemy goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But when a lion roars, what does that incite in its prey? Fear. And what usually is the reaction because of the fear? Takes off, right? There's just a sprint away And that's what the enemy wants you and me to do. He's going to accuse. He's going to attack. He's going to roar. And he wants us to start to migrate away from God. We're not dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. We're on the run. We're not abiding under the shadow of the Almighty. We aren't allowing the Spirit of God to remind us of the Word of God. All we're thinking of is how bad this can be. And again... You're going to meditate, you and I are going to meditate either on the truth or a lie. And if we meditate on the truth of God's Word, it's going to empower us and impart to us the ability to maintain peace and have hope and a confident expectation of good, of God. But if we don't, man, we're going to take off and we're going to run where we think we can get away. But listen, when a lion roars and the prey runs, what does the pride of lions do? Pursues. And they track that poor animal until it gets so tired it gives up. And they kill it. And the enemy is trying to cut you out of the herd. Cut me out of the herd. Get us running in fear, not walking in faith. that we know our destiny, we know our deliverer, we know our provider, and we know the liar for what he is and the fact that God is going to work whatever is going on for good if we'll just stay intact. Stay connected, stay trusting, stay abiding, It shall not come near you. What it? The fear. Because the fear is what drives us away from God, drives us where the enemy wants us to be. Stuff is going to happen. And when we start falling prey to what the enemy wants us to do, question God. When we start to question God, God, why didn't you take care of me? Why why did you let this happen? You're living. I'm living in a fallen world. Stuff happens. But God said, I'll be with you in the midst of it. I will bring you through. In Psalm 34, the Bible tells us in verse 19, many are the afflictions of who? The righteous. That's not a promise you have in your promise box because we don't like that. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. If we want to believe the Lord delivers us out of them all, we have to believe the first part too. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He rescues, he delivers. It starts to come, but God brings us through and into what he's prepared every time. If we'll stay intact, if we'll stay abiding, if we'll stay tracking with God, if we'll stay trusting with God, stuff comes to all of us because we're, we're in this fallen world. But God causes us to be overwhelmingly more than conquerors if we choose to abide, dwell, continue to let him fill us and flood us. His word, his love, that perfect love casts out all fear. And don't fall into the trap of thinking, well, if I'm doing everything God wants me to do, nothing bad will happen. There is one person we can look to and we can see that's clearly not true. There's only one that always does everything God the Father wanted, and that was Jesus. And there were a multitude of difficult things that happened to him, but he is absolutely in a place that he is glorious and victorious And that's what God has for you. It's not necessarily about what happens in the moment. It's about the long run, the big picture. Because what Jesus went through benefited all of us. What you and I will go through, God will use it to benefit others. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, this is, the Bible talks about the milk of the word and the meat of the word. This is not milk, this is meat. This is something that it's going to take some work to to chew on, to digest, to process and to recognize that, that we can't make God's word say what we want. We have to read what he said. We have to be prepared, not scared, Because he's provided and he's willing to guide us through everything we encounter. Because Jesus overcame all the power of the enemy over death and over the grave. And he has for you to overcome. But the only way he's made that we as flawed, frail human beings can overcome is by abiding by His grace, by what He provides, and how He sustains, and how He rescues and delivers and brings through and into the good that only he can work. If you're here this morning, if you never trusted, given, really given your life to Christ, release it to him to be your Lord, your master, your savior, the one who governs your life, who guides your life, who owns your life and who gives you life. I want to pray with you this morning. If that's you, I just want you to lift your hand and say, that's me. Then I trust everyone here. We have that relationship with God. But God wants more than a relationship. He wants a friendship. And we need, we need to always remember he's almighty God, but we also need to know that he's one who sticks closer than a friend. That he loves us like no one else. He has a plan for us that is unlike anything we've imagined or dreamed. And he'll fulfill it when we choose to let him truly have his way. And for for every one of us that's a believer, I just want you to pause right now and and just stop. Don't, Don't think about anything else. And invite God just to remind you what he had for you to take away from here today. To not just know. Not just impress somebody else that, you know, this is the word of God. But but really incorporate it. Apply it. In ways that adjust our lives. To be... abiding and submitting and yielding to him. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that when this service is over today, you're still in service. We're still in service of you. We're gonna be connected And, Father, we can be receiving the guidance that we need everywhere. Help us. Help us to recognize the the pull to distract us, to cause us to depart from our awareness, our reliance, our trust, our expectation of you, and, and subtly put it over on something else. Lord, it's in you we live and move and have our being. Help us to recognize every day, everywhere, every way, you're with us by your Spirit. Help us to live a life that truly is pleasing to you, yielding to you, because we're abiding in you. That, Father, when we encounter the things that everybody else does, we will not be We will know that you are with us. We will know that your plan is still intact for good with a future and a hope. We will know that you are working things out for good and that we will abide or wait on you and you'll renew our strength. We'll mount up with wings as eagles. We'll run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not faint. We thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Remember.